it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. Welcome to another edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. My name is Sean, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. Be sure to like, share, and favorite this podcast, whether you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. We're always looking for ways of growing this podcast bigger and better, and if things go well, we'll be able to add more episodes, including some time warps. And just a full independent wrestling scene and a full WWE scene. You can find us on Facebook with either our Facebook page for the podcast, Scumbags of Wrestling Podcast, or our fan group, Scumbags of Wrestling. Both are on Facebook. You can get us on Twitter at Scumbags Canada and email us anytime at Scumbags of Wrestling at gmail.com. On this week's episode, it's totally full of results. We got two Smash Wrestling events that are covered. We got three WWE events that are covered, along with news, including news about an NXT UK special and what's going to happen with the potential AEW trademarks that were out. We'll be right back after these short messages with results from Smash Wrestling, along with the Smash Wrestling calendar. Want to be a wrestler? The time is now to join the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. The first class is going to graduate in October, and it's going to leave a lot of open space. Learn from one of Canada's best wrestlers and trainers around. Tyson has been wrestling since 1997 and has wrestled for Blood, Sweat, and Years, Border City Wrestling, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, WWE, was part of the first Cruiserweight Classic, and one of the longest reigning champions for Smash Wrestling. Tyson just recently spent a week in Florida as a guest trainer at the WWE Performance Center. The Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory is located at 309 Exeter Road in London, Ontario and is open every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday evening from 6 p.m. to 8.30. Find out why Tyson is one of the pillars of Smash Wrestling. The Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory teaching the new generation of hopefuls into superstars. 
The Signature Spot with Chris Toplack is a weekly podcast available every Thursday that covers the world of professional wrestling. It's an easy-to-digest show that ranges from 30 to 40 minutes in length and focuses on show recaps, highlights from the week, industry news and rumors, full event previews along with predictions, topics of the week, and featured guests such as journalists and fellow podcasters. It's a professional yet personable show that's all about connecting with you. To subscribe, head over to youtube.com forward slash the signature spot or listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. And to be a part of the conversation, like the signature spot on Facebook. Hey, you're listening to Scumbags Podcast. It's your boy Aiden Prince. Welcome to this week's edition of the Smash Wrestling Report. After taking a few weeks off since the Canusa Classic here in London, Ontario, during the London Comic Con, which should be premiering very soon on the Fight Network, Smash Wrestling was back at it and on the road with two events this past week. Last weekend, Smash Wrestling and FLQ Wrestling teamed up to put on a show in Montreal. It was the Challenge Accepted event, and I'd like to thank James Key for sharing with me the results of the night. The first ever Smash Wrestling Champion, Matt Cross, defeated Teddy Hart and Scotty O'Shea in a three-way match. Puff faced Shane Sabre and beat him, but was then attacked by Scotty O'Shea with a keyboard after the match. The Kevin Bennett experience beat the team of Mike Rollins Brad Alexis, and Evil Uno. Lufisto returned to Montreal after a long absence to beat fellow Team Canada member Jody Threat. Sebastian Suave beat Daniel Garcia in match number one of their best of five series. Match number two happens next Sunday here in London at the London Music Hall. The Pillars, Brent Banks and Tarek, defeated FLQ Tag Team Champions TDT to capture the titles. Tyson Dukes defeated Handsome JF and Stu Grayson to win the FLQ Championship. The Pillars now possess all the championships in FLQ, Barry Wrestling, and Smash Wrestling. What's the next company to be next to be captured? All these matches were filmed for a future episode of Smash on the Fight Network. Then, Friday night, Smash Wrestling invaded the Brock University in St. Catharines. I'd like to thank Dave Morris for sharing the results of the card at Brock University. Making her Smash Wrestling debut, Beautiful Bia lost to Jody Threat with a spear. Sebastian Suave defeated Puff after a low blow. The Russell Factory lost to a trio from St. Catharines. Daniel Garcia beat Holden Albright by submission, even though it was Holden Albright's birthday. Fighter Flight defeated Muscle and Canadian Hercules. And the main event saw Tyson Dukes beat Kevin Bennett, who had his cousin Vinny at ringside with him. This was a special house show style event for Smash Wrestling and was not filmed for the Fight Network. However, what will be filmed for the Fight Network will be this Sunday, December 2nd, at the London Music Hall. It's Control, Alt-Delete. On this card, you'll see Cody Diener take on Wrestling Factory graduate Jim Strider. A triple threat match involving Violet Lee, Mike Rollins, and Jody Threat. Will Mike's conscience get involved 
in this match like he did last time? In Dylan Andrews' last visit to the London Music Hall, he was stunned to realize that Puff was his not-so-trusty sidekick. He's seeking revenge in a match one-on-one as Dylan Andrews takes on Puff. The Pillars, Tyson Dukes and Brent Banks, will defend the tag team titles against the new members of the Kevin Bennett Experience Halal Beefcake. Match number two of the Best of Five series for Daniel Garcia and Sebastian Suave will take place. Suave is up by one fall. Will the series be tied going into Toronto, or will Sebastian have a commanding lead? After winning the Rec Room Rumble, Kevin Bennett will challenge Tarek for the Smash Wrestling Championship. Plus, one of the most intense matches in Smash Wrestling history comes to London for the very first time as Scotty O'Shea faces Kevin Blackwood in a keyboards match. There's sure to be a lot of extra action around ringside as Scotty will have his henchmen with him. Hopefully, Blackwood will have his own backup to counter these foes. VIP tickets are all sold out for this event, but general admission tickets are still available. VIP ticket holders get an in-ring photo with Tyson Dukes and Violet Lee, plus one-month trials of Smash On Demand and entry into a very exclusive draw. All this happens at the London Music Hall December 2nd for Control-Alt-Delete, a filming for Fight Network. Then, on December 16th, Smash Wrestling presents In Your Dreams at the Franklin Horner Community Center in Toronto. This will be filmed for the Fight Network and will feature Jimmy Havoc facing PCO for the first time ever in a hardcore match. Mike Rollins faces Japanese legend Kikutaro one-on-one, and due to breaking his leg, Marco Stunt will not be able to make an appearance, and Carter Mason will have a new opponent announced in the near future. Jody Threat faces another Team Canada member in Casey Spinelli. A four-way match featuring Muscle, Puff, Holden Albright, and John Greed due to their outstanding efforts at the Rec Room Rumble. Pepper Parks wasn't too happy with Scotty O'Shea and his friends in a recent outing and said he was going to come back with some partners of his own. So on this night, two butchers and a blade will face off against Killscreen. The Pillars take on the Kevin Bennett experience and match number three of five in the Sebastian Suave Daniel Garcia saga will t- take place. Will this be the final match of the series? Will somebody get their first fall or will somebody go up two falls to one? All this will happen December 16th during In Your Dreams at the Franklin Horner Community Center in Toronto. Then Smash Wrestling kicks off the new year on January 11th as they return to the Taste of the Tannery in Kitchener, Ontario for Heavy is the Head. Matches are yet to be announced, but already announced on the card, you'll see Tarek, Jody Threat, Kevin Bennett, and Matt Cross. Tickets for all these events are available at smash-wrestling.com. You might even find a special Black Friday sale involving general mission tickets for the London show and the Toronto show. It's a limited time offer, so you need to check out smash-wrestling.com to see if the deal is still on. And that is your Smash Wrestling Report for this week. 
If you happen to attend any wrestling event, whether it's Smash or another organization, please feel free to send me the results, whether it's in an audio format to be included in the podcast, or send me an email or text on our Facebook page, and I'll include it and give you credit for sharing the information of matches happening all across Ontario in the independent wrestling scene. Are you looking to get your own Scumbags Wrestling t-shirt or the Scumbags Podcast t-shirt? Well, look no further than our friends over at Twisted Tees at TwistedTeesMerch.com. Since their company launched in 2006, they've become one of the top screen printers known for their large, colorful, high-detailed prints. Their theory behind what they decide to print is simple. It's about keeping it real and taking you back to your early years browsing through endless movies at your local video store only to be sucked in by the very intriguing cover art. Even if the movie itself wasn't so great, it's that original cover that will always remain locked inside your head. Over the years, they've become even more creative with introducing limited edition designs. With the amazing feedback they received from their Warriors and Zombies hoodies, as well as their button-up work shirts, they will bring you even more one-of-a-kind designs. All of their products are screen-printed and embroidered directly in their shop. They don't use any outside sources to produce their goods, nor do they use cheap iron-ons. They guarantee heads will turn when you wear Twisted Tees to your next outing. Twisted Tees also provides printing for Kill Effect, Shock Stock, Monsters of Schlock, Shadow uh, Windbrook, and Vagrancy Films. So look out for Twisted Tees online, once again, at TwistedTeesMerch.com and get your own Scumbags of Wrestling t-shirt for just $25. Yo, this is Tarek, you listen to Scumbags of Wrestling. Punch, kick, chop, done. Coming April 26th to the 28th at the Ramada Inn, London, Ontario, it's Shockstock. Shockstock is London, Ontario's premier annual horror and subculture con- convention. Each year we bring, for a few short days, the real deal in sleaze, horror, and exploitation with celebrities, events, and vendors who know what the fans want. No insane lineups, no curfews, no problem. Enjoy jam-packed vendor rooms, a full weekend-long film festival with awards and fully stocked bar and lounge with nighttime events on-site and more. Submit your film via Film Freeway at filmfreeway.com shockstock. Presented by London's own Sultans of Slime, Vagrancy Films, The Grim Brothers Entertainment, in association with Fangora, Raven Banner, and of course, Bob's Ultimate Meats.
surrounded by a bunch of loudmouth scumbags that just want attention. In wrestling news, Enzo Amore crashed the Survivor Series last Sunday. He showed up in a hoodie and a really bad wig, but then took it off to show a shirt that said, I'm doing fine, in the same font as his WWE t-shirts. He stood on a chair and did some of his catchphrases and was really a distraction during the beginning of the AOP versus bar match. He was quickly taken down by security and removed from the arena. This was part of a stunt to draw attention and get people to go to his rap show that was happening on the Monday at the Whiskey A Go Go. It didn't really draw much attention beyond that that happened immediately at the Survivor Series and got him a lot of attention, mostly negative, from the internet. Later on, you're going to hear part three of his panel from the London Comic Con that happened last month. Hack said Jim Duggan was just recently taken to the hospital after a minor health scare. He had some testing done and unfortunately missed Russellcade, but was hoping to be released from the hospital on Saturday. He posted pictures of him all wired up and being with his family at the time. We'd like to wish Hacksaw Jim Duggan continued health and get back on his feet. Braun Strowman will be of action a bit due to some bone spurs in his elbow. Some doctors are saying it could be up to three months, so it's highly doubtful he'll make it for his match at TLC against Baron Corbin. It's a possibility, depending on how quickly he heals, if he'll be able to take his match at the Royal Rumble against Brock Lesnar for the Universal title. In other injury news, it's still unknown the status of Alexa Bliss with her multiple concussions that she's had. She still has to pass WWE testing to be able to be cleared to go back into the ring. In recent weeks, we've seen her dress a little more conservatively and sort of like a general manager for the women, but there is a possibility, depending on what they do with Kurt Angle and Baron Corbin, that she could eventually take over the role of Raw general manager until at least she does get cleared, somewhat like how Paige is doing over on SmackDown. Triple H made the announcement that NXT UK will get their first ever TakeOver event in Blackpool on January 12th, and then a TV taping on the 13th of January is the exact same place where they started the whole UK brand two years ago. Eventually, they're supposed to also make an announcement that the UK is going to get their own performance center to help breed new talent into that division who might eventually make it over to North America and join the main roster. For those looking for an end to the brand split, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Fox wants 
the brand split to remain intact when it, they inherit SmackDown next year. Powers of B over at Fox have no interest in doing cross-promoting with a show that's on the rival network, being USA, owned by NBC. So they will not want to have any talent from Raw show up and promote their show. It most likely won't disrupt anything with their network specials, but it will have some impact on what could potentially happen with the Survivor Series. It would definitely make it difficult for them to promote brand versus brand if the two networks can't get along enough to promote each other during that one time of the year. As announced during the WWE kickoff show for Survivor Series, Lars Sullivan is the next person to be brought up to the main roster. They have yet to confirm which side he'll be on, whether it's Raw or SmackDown, but ideally, because of his size and everything, he'd kind of get lost in the bigger talent pool of Raw compared to the smaller stature of the talent over on SmackDown. So I expect to see him over on SmackDown and being somewhat the monster bully that his character would need to be. And finally, in wrestling news, that rumored promotion being put together by Jim Ross, Chris Jericho, the Elite, and the owners of the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Khan family, might actually be coming true. It was revealed this week that a number of trademarks and logos were registered for trademark. Interestingly enough, the trademark address goes back to the arena of the Jacksonville Jaguars, which would probably be where their main office is. Those trademarks in question are for All Elite Wrestling, AEW, and they have All Elite Wrestling, Double or Nothing, which is something that Cody Rhodes said when the cameras went off the air at All In, that, hey, how about let's do Double or Nothing for a second show. There's also AEW All In, All Out, and Tuesday Night Dynamite. This would certainly explain why all the people who are involved with the Elite are coming out saying that they have their contracts coming up very soon with New Japan, are not signing with Ring of Honor, and are no longer part of the Bullet Club, putting out their last Bullet Club t-shirts. If all this falls into place then there should be an announcement in January involving All Elite Wrestling. If this company truly is involving all the members of the Elite, along with Jim Ross and Chris Jericho, it should be interesting to see who else would be part of this organization and what their rules would be, because things came together really well for the all-in pay-per-view that happened in September, and a lot of independent talent were involved. If they can float between all the different organizations and be a part of AEW, then they're going to have quite the talent pool involved. It also presented itself as a very viable alternative to even going to Impact Wrestling, which struggles with their own branding, along with Ring of Honor. Cody Rhodes has a wealth of knowledge thanks to his father, and you have Chris Jericho, who seems to be able to be golden at the moment with Midas touch, a pocket coming from the billionaires that are the Khan family, and the knowledge and experience of Jim Ross. 
I don't think there's ever going to be a viable competitor for the WWE. But a lot of people seem to be turning their back also on WWE because of the fact that they are somewhat complacent and lazy. And if there's something to compete or be an alternative, then it's definitely going to be welcomed. Hey, it's Jody Thread, and you're listening to Scumbag Podcast. Have you checked out our latest Scumbags of Wrestling t-shirts? We have the original Superstars of Wrestling-inspired Scumbags logo, the Raw's War-inspired parody logo, plus now a Survivor Series podcast logo, and a few other logos inspired by Brock Lesnar's Suplex City and property of Scumbags of Wrestling t-shirts. All our t-shirts are made by Daryl over at Twisted Tees. You can find him at TwistedTeesMerch.com. All the shirts are printed right there in his shop in Alora, and have amazing quality and first-rate technology to produce these amazing t-shirts. All our t-shirts come in a variety of different colors and can be purchased for $25 each. Tees is known for their great quality and have done work for some of our friends of the podcast, such as Vagrancy Films, Shockstock, Rockin'Con, London Comic-Con, Kill Effect, and the Monsters of Schlock. Or your t-shirts today through me directly by going to our website at scumbags.ca or contact me on Facebook at the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast and find out how you can get your, your own shirts and show your pride of being a scumbag at any wrestling event you attend. We're proud to be partnered with Twisted Tees on making these t-shirts, and we hope you help support us and buy one for yourself. Get our full line of t-shirt designs at twistedmerch.com. Last weekend was one of the major weekends for WWE, where they take over a city for four days. In this case, it was for the Survivor Series weekend. It started off on Saturday with NXT TakeOver War Games. The event opened with Matt Riddle facing Cassius Ono. This was set up partly during the kickoff show. It was an unexpected match, as only four had been officially announced on the main card, and there was talk that Cassius Ono versus Matt Riddle was supposed to be as one of the dark match tapings for this Wednesday's NXT show. Instead, they ended up bumping up to the main card of TakeOver. Riddle was hugely over with the fans and called out Cassizono for what happened earlier in the show. Ono came out and accepted the challenge and was hit with a jumping high knee and pinned after just seven seconds. It was quite the way to start off this NXT broadcast. Shayna Baszler defended the NXT Women's Championship against Kerry Zane in a best 2 out of 3 falls match. Baszler scored the first fall by making Zane tap after some interference from Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir. Zane eventually evened up the score when she hit the insane elbow on Baszler. In the end, unfortunately, Duke and Shafir tried to interfere again only for Dakota Kai and 
Io Shirai to stop them in the end. This wasn't enough, as Zane attempted another insane elbow on Baszler, only for Baszler to catch Zane's arm and roll her up to retain the title. This was their fifth meeting, and compared to the other four, this was kind of a little lackluster. I kind of expected the two interference of Duke and Shafir to actually be kicked out, but including Dakota Kai and Io Shirai, kind of balanced it out without having to throw them out of the match. But in the end, Shayna Baszler retained her title, and they're going to establish themselves as a force the trio will. The next match saw Aleister Black face Johnny Gargano in a grudge match after it was revealed that it was Gargano who took out Black and cost him his chance at regaining the NXT Championship. Gargano hit a slingshot DDT for a near fall, but Black performed a diving meteora for a near fall himself. Gargano applied the Gargano escape, but Black touched the ropes to get the break. In the end, Black hit two consecutive Black masses on Johnny Gargano and even absolved him from his sins in the second one and got the victory. It was actually quite a really good match, and I'm surprised that they ended it somewhat in just that one meeting, as opposed to my predictions last week, where I was hoping that Gargano would get the win and they'd be able to carry on to the Royal Rumble NXT version. However, obviously they have other plans in mind for both Gargano and Black, and this might have been their one and done in this case. Then Tommaso Ciampa defended the NXT Championship against Velveteen Dream. Dream came out in an NWO-style Hulk Hogan gear as opposed to his last appearance on TakeOver where he wore the red and yellow version of Hogan. This time he did the black and white. Ciampa hit Project Ciampa for a near fall. Dream performed the Purple Rainmaker on Ciampa for a near fall himself. And Dream attempted a second Rainmaker again on the apron, only for Ciampa to move out of the way. In the end, Ciampa hit an elevated DDT on Dream into the metal divider between the rings and retained his NXT championship. This was a hard-fought match between the two guys who went back and forth. I really hope that this isn't the last we see of these two in the ring against each other, but... Anything's possible with Black possibly going after Ciampa to get his title back. I just don't know where it will take Velveteen Dream after this. But for a guy who's just 23 years of age and has evolved so much over the last while, he should be back in contention for that NXT title and hopefully stays there a little bit longer before being brought up to the main roster, where unfortunately... People like him get mistreated, and so I hope that he stays in NXT a lot longer and we finally see Dream become the NXT champion. The main event of the night was the War Games match between the Undisputed Era, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and Roderick Strong against the team of WWE-UK champion Pete Dunne, North American champion Ricochet, and the War Raiders, Hanson and Rowe. 
The match began with Cole and Ricochet in the ring for the first five-minute period. Kyle O'Reilly joined the match next as he had won the advantage for the Undisputed Era on the last episode of NXT by beating Hanson in a one-on-one match. Three minutes later, it was Hanson who would join the match, and followed by the next period, it was Roderick Strong who joined the match. The next period, Rowe was released from his shark cage to even up things for his team. The last man to be released for the Undisputed Era was Bobby Fish, who instead of racing down to the ring to join his team, he decided to use his lock to go after Pete Dunne and lock his cage even more. After using his team's lock on the chain, he took the key and threw it into the crowd. The rules had said earlier that War Games, the match beyond, would not happen until all eight members of the match were in the ring. So, with Bobby Fish locking Pete Dunne in further, it didn't allow their team to even up the odds, and there was a four-on-three advantage until Pete was able to make it into the ring. That allowed them to have that advantage to break down their opponents even further. Fish then brought in customized chairs for the Undisputed Era into the ring. Three minutes afterwards, when the referees attempted to unlock Dunne's cage, they failed to do so because they were only able to unlock his original lock. Both locks were on different keys, so without the key that Bobby Fish had thrown into the audience, they were not able to free up Pete Dunne to join his team. They had to, The referees had to find a set of bolt cutters before Pete Dunne could end up joining the melee. When Dunne was finally released from his shark cage, he ran down to the ring only to find... Fish and O'Reilly holding the main cage door closed, not allowing him to get into the ring. Dunn then went under the ring and brought a, a kendo stick and attacked the fingers with him being able to gain access to the ring. Dunn then proceeded to bring in chairs, tables, and trash cans and a steel chain along with his kendo stick into the ring for his team. Cole reversed a bitter end into a DDT and hit Dunn with the last shot for a near fall. Also, at another point, both teams were in opposite rings and then faced off against each other in the center, yelling, and it was an amazing visual to see how they faced off, and then they ended up brawling some more. Dunn hit a bitter end, and Ricochet hit a 450 splash onto Adam Cole, and both of them covered Cole for the victory. It was a well-put-together match, and both champions stared each other down at the end, even though they were on the same team. They still were able to work together. It's only a matter of time that we see Ricochet against Pete Dunne in a champion-versus-champion match. With only a few matches on the card, NXT continues to have such great quality that it makes it hard for the next night of the main roster to be able to follow up and come up with something that's spectacular to remind the fans that last night didn't happen. Do you like things a little hot and spicy? Well, come to the first annual Heat Wave Hot Sauce Expo, March 2nd, 2019 at Centennial Hall. 
Heatwave Hot Sauce Expo is Southwestern Ontario's home of heat. Enjoy your sauce and spicy food from over 40 international producers. All vendors are providing free samples of their sauces on nachos or pretzels. Or you can buy some meaty chicken wings at the show and spice them up however you'd like with hundreds of choices available from our vendors. Fans attending get a totally unique experience with an 80s theme motif and atmosphere on the show floor. The event will be licensed with craft beers and spirits available for consumption to pair with your perfect sauce. As well, live podcasts, demonstrations, and competitions for those who wish to test their limits will take place on the heatwave stage. For fans of Spice or those just seeking an afternoon of heat, Heatwave is your place to go. Heatwave takes place Saturday, March 2nd at Centennial Hall in London, Ontario, Canada. Tickets available right now. Want to be a wrestler? The time is now to join the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. The first class is going to graduate in October, and it's going to leave a lot of open space. Learn from one of Canada's best wrestlers and trainers around. Tyson has been wrestling since 1997 and has wrestled for Blood, Sweat, and Years, Border City Wrestling, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, WWE, was part of the first Cruiserweight Classic, and one of the longest reigning champions for Smash Wrestling. Tyson just recently spent a week in Florida as a guest trainer at the WWE Performance Center. The Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory is located at 309 Exeter Road in London, Ontario and is open every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday evening from 6 p.m. to 8.30. Find out why Tyson is one of the pillars of Smash Wrestling. The Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory teaching the new generation of hopefuls into superstars. This took us to Sunday when WWE returned to the Staples Center for its second of four nights to present the Survivor Series. There was a two-hour pre-show, which the first hour meant absolutely nothing because there was nothing on it at all. And the second hour had the big 10-on-10 Survivor Series match with the tag teams. Team Rob was represented by Bobby Roode and Chad Gable. The Ascension, Connor and Victor. Lucha House Party, Kalisto and Lindsay Dorado and Graham Metalik. The Revival, Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder. The B-Team, Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas, taking on the SmackDown team of the Usos, Jay and Jimmy. The New Day, Big E, Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston. The Colognes, Primo and Epico. Sanity, Killian Dane, Eric Young and Alexander Wolfe. Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, the Good Brothers. Right at the bat, Kalisto ended up suffering a knee injury, and the referee allowed Grandma Leak to replace him. The revival hit a shatter machine on Primo to eliminate the Colognes. Anderson pinned Bo Dallas with a schoolboy to eliminate the B team. Gable and Rube performed their netbreaker moonsault combo on Young to eliminate Sanity. 
Xavier Woods, with the assistance of Big E, hit a splash onto Victor to eliminate the ascension. Graham Malik performed his springboard swanton onto Carl Anderson to eliminate the Good Brothers. Jay hit an alley-oose on Dorado to eliminate the Lucha House Party. And New Day hit their up-up-down-down on Gable to take out the team of Gable and Root. The Revival got Xavier Woods with a shatter machine to eliminate the New Day. In the end, Jimmy Uso hit a Uso splash on Dawson to eliminate the Revival and win the match for the lone survivors of the Team SmackDown. The only other significance that happened during the pre-show was all the shuffling around of people and adding and taking away of the women's elimination match, which was going to be the first match on the main show. It was revealed that Naomi was going to be the team captain, since Charlotte wasn't going to be available, and they added Mandy Rose as their fifth member. Over on the Raw side of things, Natalia and Ruby Riot couldn't get along, especially since Ruby had destroyed Neidhart's glasses and insulted her about her father the week before. So there was no way they were going to be able to team together and represent Raw. So Alexa Bliss kicked them off and added Bailey and Sasha, who just the past Monday were trying to compete for the open spot, which there actually wasn't an open spot. Now they took the two open spots that came about from the brawl in the back. So to start off the main card of the Survivor Series, it was actually the women's 5-on-5 elimination match, pitting Team Raw, Nia Jax, Tamina, Mickey James, Sasha Banks, and Bailey, who had Alexa Bliss in their corner, taking on Team SmackDown, consisting of Naomi, Asuka, Carmella, who had R-Truth with her, Sonya Deville, and Mandy Rose. Tamina hit Naomi with a superkick to eliminate her. Carmella then surprised Tamina with a schoolgirl and eliminated Tamina from the match. Sonya Deville hit a sliding knee on Mickey James, followed by Rose pinning James to take her out. Bailey hit a belly to belly on Carmella to send Carmella to the dressing room. Sasha applied the bank statement on Mandy Rose, forcing Mandy to tap out. Bailey and Sonya Deville brawled outside of the ring to a double count-up, eliminating both women. Asuka applied the Asuka lock on Sasha Banks, who had been pushed off the top turnbuckle by her own teammate, Nia Jax. In the end, Nia hit three leg drops and a Samoan drop on Asuka to win the match and be the sole survivor for Team Raw. She was playing up the whole power of the punch after taking out Becky Lynch earlier in the week and was getting a lot of heat from the audience for it. This started the score at 1-0 for Raw, as the kickoff match apparently did not count for the overall count, and it was going to be six matches instead of seven matches for the final score. Backstage, Raw Commissioner Stephanie McMahon and Acting General Manager Baron Corbin celebrated the win. Stephanie told Corbin that if Raw had a clean sweep over SmackDown, she would consider making him the permanent Raw General Manager. Raw's Intercontinental Champion Seth Rollins faced SmackDown's United States Champion Shinsuke Nakamura. During the match, 
Rawls hit three suicide dives and a springboard clothesline on Nakamura for a near fall. Rollins performed a ripcord knee for another near fall. Nakamura hit the Kinshasa for a two count, but in the end, Rollins hit the stomp on Nakamura to win the match, making the score 2 nothing for Raw. The Raw Tag Team Champions, AOP, Akim Razar with Drake Maverick, took on SmackDown Tag Team Champions, The Bar, Cesaro and Sheamus with Big Show in their corner. This is when Enzo Amore was in the crowd causing a disturbance and got kicked out of the arena. In the end, Sheamus hit a brogue kick on Razar, but during the pinfall attempt, Maverick placed Razar's foot on the bottom rope. Cesaro chased Drake around, who ran into the Big Show. Big Show grabbed Maverick and by the throat and lifted him up onto the ring apron, only for Maverick to soil himself. This distraction allowed Akim and Razor to hit the neckbreaker powerbomb combo on Sheamus to get the win for Raw, making it 3 nothing. The only non-interpromotional match of the night saw the title defense of Buddy Murphy against Mustafa Ali for the Cruiserweight Championship. In the end, Murphy hit Murphy's Law on Ali to retain the title in a really good Cruiserweight match. The final regular Survivor Series elimination match featuring the men of Raw vs. SmackDown was next. Team Raw was represented by Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler, Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley, who had Leo Rush in his corner, and Finn Balor, who, and Baron Corbin was at ringside. They took on Team SmackDown of The Miz, Shane McMahon, Rey Mysterio, Samoa Joe, and Jeff Hardy. Sherman was going to start the match for his team, but McIntyre quickly tagged himself in. As McIntyre mocked Strowman, Joe took advantage and applied the coquina clutch on McIntyre. McIntyre was able to escape and hit a Claymore kick to eliminate Joe in no time flat. Shane and Ziggler then faced off, and a brawl broke out between teammates Strowman and McIntyre, and Team SmackDown ganged up on them on the outside of the ring. Shane hit an elbow drop on Strowman from the top turnbuckle to the announce table. Mysterio eliminated Balor after 619 and a springboard frog splash. Shane hit a coast-to-coast on Ziggler to eliminate him. Shane then attempted another coast-to-coast on Lashley, only for Strowman to recover from his earlier planting through the table and hit a clothesline midair on Shane. Strowman then hit a power slam on Hardy, Mysterio, and Miz to eliminate all three. Finally, he hit a running power slam on Shane to win the match for Team Raw, with Strowman, McIntyre, and Lashley as the survivors, making the score 4 nothing for Raw. After the match, Corbin attacked Strowman and quickly retreated with McIntyre and Lashley. Backstage, Seth Rollins was interviewed by Charlie Caruso, who informed Rollins that he'd be defending the Intercontinental Championship against his friend and now bitter rival, Dean Ambrose, at TLC, Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, next month. The one-on-one women's match had to be changed drastically, as Nia Jax had taken out Becky Lynch with a concussion and, quote, broken face 
on Monday when there was a huge brawl between the Raw and SmackDown women. Becky Lynch was pulled from the match on Tuesday and needed to choose her replacement, which she chose as Charlotte. So, the women's match was Raw Women's Champion Ronda Rousey taking on SmackDown's Charlotte Flair. This match went back and forth and was really intense and not necessarily your typical Ronda Rousey match. Rousey attempted to attack uh, Charlotte on the outside of the ring, but a furious Charlotte struck Rousey with a kendo stick at the near the end, and Rousey won by a disqualification. Up until that, it was really intense back-and-forth match that could have happened either way, but you kind of saw the writing on the wall with the fact that SmackDown hadn't won a single match yet, and you're not going to have Ronda lose yet until at least WrestleMania. So with the disqualification making the score 5-0 for Raw, Charlotte had nothing to lose and continued to attack Ronda with the kendo stick, and you could see welts and cuts all over Ronda because of it, and then Flair hit a natural selection on a chair uh, to Ronda, and then positioned Ronda's neck in between the chair and stomped on it. By the time everything was done, what looked like a heel turn by Charlotte Flair was being cheered for by the fans who were thanking Charlotte for doing that. It could be a residual effect on what fans were wanting with Becky, but regardless of what the actual reasoning behind it is, the fans were supporting this heel tactic by Charlotte Flair and literally booed Ronda Rousey out of the building. And Ronda had even stopped uh, to some man who I guess was heckling her or whatever and probably said something about Becky Lynch being the man and she said to this guy that you're not a man. And by the time she got to the top of the ramp, you could tell that she was like really angry and offended by the fact that these fans were booing her. Meanwhile, she was actually the victim of this attack by Charlotte Flair. So it was kind of weird. It could be a residual from fans wanting Becky still or... Maybe people are tired of Ronda Rousey because she made it to the top so quickly, even though she claimed, oh, I'm going to earn my stripes, and she's the champion. So who knows? And we'll see how it goes further because there's going to have to be something involving Ronda and Charlotte with revenge on that. There's still got to be the Ronda-Becky match and Ronda also has the upcoming Nia Jax match because she won the Battle Royal at Evolution. So Ronda's card is rather full for the next little bit, depending on how things unfold. The main event of the night saw Raw Universal Champion Brock Lesnar, with Paul Heyman in his corner, taking on SmackDown's newly crowned WWE Champion Daniel Bryan, who ended up turning heel on AJ Styles to gain the title on Tuesday. Brian started off the match a little cocky and trying to play a little cat and mouse game until Brock Lesnar caught him and hit several suplexes, which the first one was cringeworthy. I know where I was watching it, 
everybody was just like, oh my God, because it was a German suplex right on the neck of Daniel Bryan, which the guy should not probably be taking this regardless of how things are. He lost a good chunk of his career because of stupid things like that. But then they turned it into belly-to-belly suplexes where Brian could land better and they weren't as cringeworthy as the original German suplex, which I believe he did take at least one more in that onslaught of Brock Lesnar's. Brock then hit an F5 on Brian, but during the pin attempt, he intentionally broke the fall himself just to toy with Brian some more. Lesnar attempted a second F5 on Brian, but accidentally hit the referee while hitting the move. With the referee down, Brian seized the opportunity to low blow Lesnar, just like he did to AJ on Tuesday, and Brian hit a running knee on Lesnar. Uh, For a near fall, Brian began to target Lesnar's knee by slamming it into the ring post. Back in the ring, Lesnar attempted another F5, but Lesnar's knee gave out. Brian capitalized on that and hit hit the yes lock. With Lesnar coming close to seeming to tap out, but Lesnar ended up escaping. Brian applied a triangle hold on Lesnar, but Lesnar countered and picked up Brian for F5 and pinned Brian to win the match. And Raw was once again on the winning side with supremacy of 6 nothing clean sweep over SmackDown on the main card since the kickoff match meant nothing in the long scheme of things. It was actually really good to see that for the second year in a row that Brock Lesnar was actually willing to take some bumps and do a longer than two-minute match, unlike what he did at Crown Jewel against Braun Strowman with five F5s and over and done with. He actually did take some bumps from Daniel Bryan this time, like he did from AJ the prior year. Overall, this card was kind of wonky. Some of the eliminations didn't make sense in the elimination matches. Why the kickoff match didn't mean anything is beyond me. Maybe there was a screw-up, and they actually should have had Raw win, which then they could have had 7-0 properly. Um, So something messed up on that end. I would honestly have to say the best matches of the night would be the Cruiserweight match, the women's match, and the Universal WD title match with uh, Brock and Daniel. So those are my top three. Unfortunately, as we saw the next night on Raw and SmackDown, the victories meant zero because nobody was bragging about sweeping SmackDown. Shane McMahon had put out a statement on Twitter saying that things were going to be addressed with the state of SmackDown, and that got ignored and it got turned into Miz and Shane in a tag team losing to some jobbers. Overall, the TV for Monday and Tuesday really wasn't epic or thrilling. And now we have three more weeks to build for TLC. So I don't get it. 
if somebody can explain what happened, why anything that was meaningful became useless, I'd love answers myself. But we'll just have to see what happens the next couple of weeks. Maybe they'll pick it up and figure out what they did wrong this week and go forward. But we do have TLC coming up next month. And already for that is a rematch of Dana Bryan and AJ Styles for the championship. We got the Intercontinental title of Seth versus Dean. And there's sure to be a lot more in store not knowing where Braun Strowman stands in his match against Baron Corbin. Last night from the U.S. Bank Arena in Cincinnati, Ohio, is the 2018 edition of Starcade. The second year, the WWE has brought back the Starcade name and presented it as a somewhat house show event. However, this year, they're going to take some of the goings-on and condense it down to a one-hour special on the WWE Network, which will be shown Sunday night at 8 o'clock or available anytime on demand. Given the preview that WWE gave to everybody on the website, here are the results of what you will see during that one-hour special. Elias started playing a song in the middle of the ring and was joined by Ric Flair. Ric Flair complimented him and said that he could have any woman he wanted in this world, with the exception of his daughter, Charlotte. For whatever reason, that ended up bringing out Nia Jax to a round of booze, Tamina, Alicia Fox, and Mickey James. They all t- tried to sing a song together, but Nia sounded horrible. Elias then called out his friends to sing, and out came Sasha Banks, Bailey, Ember Moon, and Dana Brooke. This turned into an eight-woman tag team match, and Nia maintained most of her heat that she's garnered since decking Becky a few weeks ago. Sasha made Alicia Fox tap out to the bank statement to get the victory for her team. It was a Miz TV segment, and fans were totally all about Miz since he is from Ohio, and they were chanting Yes Chance and Miz Chance, doing his awesome catchphrase until he stopped them cold in their tracks by insulting the Cincinnati Bengals with the fact that the Cleveland Browns beat them. This gave Miz back his heel heat that he wanted, and then he welcomed his guests at the time, which was Rey Mysterio, who came out in a neck brace due to the beatdown that he took from Randy Orton on Tuesday, and the U.S. champion Shinsuke Nakamura. Eventually, during the talking, Shinsuke ended up attacking Rey Mysterio, and Miz called for a referee to come down to the ring to make it an actual match for the U.S. title. Even though he'd been beat down, Rey Mysterio made a comeback and went for a 619, which Miz interfered in and got Shinsuke Nakamura disqualified. As the two heels beat down Rey Mysterio, out came Rusev and Lana, who stopped the fight, and Lana ended up challenging for a tag team match between the four men. This was accepted, and the singles match got turned into now a tag team, with Shinsuke Nakamura and The Miz taking on Rey Mysterio and Rusev. Rey and Rusev worked really good together, and Rey hit a 619 on both Shinsuke and Miz, only for Miz to get up and get hit with a Machka kick for the victory for his team. The winners of the match were Rey Mysterio and Rusev. The main event of the one-hour special is a steel cage match with AJ Styles taking on Samoa Joe. 
This originally was scheduled to be for the WWE title, but since AJ lost the title recently to Daniel Bryan, it was just a one-on-one match. As we've seen for years when they were in TNA together, and for the last now five matches that they've had on WWE TV and uh, pay-per-views, AJ and Samoa Joe have great chemistry together. Some of the bigger moments were each of them tossing the other into the steel cage, but Styles ended up getting Joe in the calf crusher for the tap-out victory after about 12 minutes, and this is probably what you'll see as the one-hour special on the WWE Network. However, there were still a bunch of other matches that happened during the event. Here are those results. Finn Balor took on Drew McIntyre. Balor was hugely over with the fans, and Dolph Ziggler came out with Drew. Drew won after about eight minutes with the Claymore kick. The Revival took on the B-Team. Wilder and Dawson cut a good promo, and the B-Team were very popular with the fans, and they were chanting a lot for the B-Team. Axel picked up the victory with a sunset flip on Wilder. The Bar defended their tag team championships against the New Day. Of course, this involved a lot of the regular shenanigans that New Day has with their trombone and the pancakes being tossed in the crowd. Sheamus ended up getting some pancakes and tossed them right back at the New Day. And they, of course, went back and forth as they normally do in their matches that they have great chemistry in together. Sheamus then hit Big E with the road kick for the victory to retain the tag team titles. Baron Corbin came to the ring and announced that due to the beating that Braun Strowman took on Monday night, that he was not going to be there. And even though the fans wanted to see Baron Corbin wrestle, that wasn't going to happen against Strowman tonight. So he decided to issue an open challenge to give the fans what they actually came to see, which was Baron Corbin. The lights went out, and lo and behold, the guy who accepted the challenge was Bray Wyatt in his first appearance in a long while. Bray came out, and the two fought with each other, and Bray scored a victory with a schoolboy. Of course, Baron didn't accept that and decided to restart the match with a no-DQ stipulation, and out came Drew and Dolph to help Baron beat down Bray Wyatt. Bray was then rescued by... Finn Balor, and Elias. Drew and Dolph ran off, and the three faces ended up hitting their finishers on Corbin, with Sister Abigail being hit last and getting another pinfall victory, giving Bray actually two victories in less than 10 minutes over the Raw acting general manager. Charlotte Flair had come out and asked who else was going to get a beating like how Ronda Rousey did. Oscar made her way to the ring, and the match began with both ladies going back and forth and both working as faces, but the crowd somewhat favored Asuka more than Charlotte. Charlotte reversed an inside cradle for the victory, but both women stood tall, holding each other's hands up. Then the actual main event for the whole evening was another steel cage match with the Intercontinental title on the line with Seth Rollins defending against Dean Ambrose. Ambrose got a bigger pop from the crowd than Seth did, considering Dean comes from Cincinnati. Ambrose tried stalling for time and walking around the outside of the cage and maintained his snarl to portray that he's still heel, 
and everything, regardless of what the fans were cheering that time. But Seth had enough and went after Dean, and they brawled on the outside and brought out some kendo sticks. They finally got into the ring and continued to hit each other with kendo sticks. Eventually, with the match back in the ring, they started fighting each other back and forth as they know each other really well, and Dean got Seth into the tree of woe, and instead of going out the door, he attempted to climb up the side of the cage and out of it. Seth was able to release himself from the tree of woe, climbed up, and stopped Dean from escaping the cage, hitting a superplex from the top of the cage, followed by a falcon arrow, but only for a two-count. The match continued, and eventually both men made their way back up to the top of the cage and were fighting, where Dean fell off and attempted to then go through the door. Seth quickly climbed down and made it to the floor first, retaining his Intercontinental Championship, and sent the fans home happy that night. So that there was what happened in Cincinnati last night as part of WD's version of Starcade. Maybe one day it'll actually make it on as a live version and have the prestige again like it did in WCW when it was the WrestleMania version of WCW and the NWA. But for now... Fans will just have to settle for it being a house show with this one-hour special that will appear on the WWE Network. Canada's original and best horror weekend, Shockstock, the all-nighter freighter, comes to London Ramada in April 26th to the 28th. Already announced for the event is Sleazy P. Martini, of Guar, and he's coming to Shockstock 2019. So you want to meet the manager with the mostest? You're going to get your wish. The Art of Clown, David Howard Thorne, makes his way to Shockstock. Don't you dare miss it. April 26th to the 28th, 2019, London, Ontario, the Inn. It's Shockstock. And now, here's part three of the Enzo Amore panel from the London Comic Con that happened last month on October 27th. You see that picture of me when the Hardys came out? Anybody ever seen that still frame of me? Uh, no, I knew I knew the Hardys were coming back. We found out earlier that week. Uh, to be honest with you, Gallows knew first that Gallows is my boy, so he told me. And then the company told us like four days before. And then we had two secret rehearsals before Mania. But also, mind you this, going into Mania, the whole lead up 
was for me and Cass to become champions. That was the booking. And going into the match, I knew in my mind, if that was the case, that I was a dead man. Look at the landscape. Sheamus, Cesaro, Cass, and Gallows and Anderson. Who here is going to take the craziest bump in this match? I, I saw the writing on the wall, and I knew I was dead, because I'm crazy. I don't know if you've ever seen what I've done on TV, but I don't give up about my body, all right? Uh, I figured I'd end up jumping off the top of the ladder, through a ladder, eating a power bomb, something crazy the world's never seen. And then you hear the Hardy Boys get announced, and I went, yes! I'm gonna live through this shit, cause Jeff Hardy's here and he's taking the fucking bump. And sure enough, Jeff took the craziest damn bump, and I was sitting there with Big Cass, like, oh my god, bro. If you can, top five favorite bands, artists, whatever, music. Music now, music, that's a good. All right, so when I grew up, my dad was a DJ. So this microphone tattooed on my hand represents the microphone that my father always held. He had an old school mic. And uh, it was funny, I was telling the YMCA guys earlier today, the village people, that, uh, you know, I've, I've been sitting there while my dad's out there, and you know, he's DJing and I'm like 12 years old. And he'd be like, all right, my assistant Eric, he didn't call me his son, you know? He'd be like, all right, my assistant Eric is about to lead you all the YMCA. And he'd hit the damn button. And I'd run out there and I'd lead the YMCA. And I knew how to do the whole deal, the cha-cha slide, the electric slide. And that's where the microphone came from, you know what I'm saying? So my top five bands, I grew up having no choice but to listen to top 40 music, right? Because you go to a party, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, a corporate event, whatever it is, they're gonna play what's hot on the radio and what's had success, right? Number one hit records. You're gonna hear like Moni Moni and you're gonna hear YMCA and you're gonna hear, you know, the Congo line and whatever it may be, right? So I always, if you really think about it, that's catchphrases. So infiltrating my mind as a child, my name is Enzo Amore, and you can't teach that. I'm just writing top 40 stuff that sticks in your head, you know? So I was a DJ with my dad, and I was a DJ growing up, and my family still does it. And basically, I only listen to hip-hop. As a child, I only listened to rap. I didn't listen to any rock. If it had a guitar, it was what my dad listened to. I didn't want to listen to what my dad listened to. So I love 50 Cent, I love G-Unit, right? And uh, I grew up listening to Biggie Smalls and Tupac. But then when I got on the road in the WWE and you start driving around the country with a guy from Japan, Braun Strowman from North Carolina, Bray Wyatt from you know East Bumble, Florida, I don't know. You end up listening to new music and getting cultured. And I picked up on things that I probably would have never gotten in life. I've become a top five band for me, Rolling Stones. Huge fan of the Stones. When I traveled the world, I felt like a Rolling Stone. So I would listen to them when I would be on tour in the UK. And a lot of that music resonates with me with a lot of some of my memories uh, in the business. I would say Tupac. Obviously, I got, uh, if you noticed, life. I didn't get thug on the other side. It doesn't say thug life, it just said life. Now I wrote love, so love life. Uh, 
I love Tupac, The Rolling Stones, uh, 50 Cent, G-Unit, uh, and I like, maybe a little cliche, but maybe the Beatles here, you know, I got into them down the line too, uh, you know, and uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, if we're going rock and roll, I would, I would just throw a rock band in there that I like growing up, but uh, yeah, man, uh, the, the music for me has always been my lifeblood. My family did it, so I think it's it's funny when people don't see this seamless transition for me into music. And and you know, mind you, this uh, when you're five foot ten, 185 pounds, and you tell people that you want to be the biggest superstar in the WWE, right? That's a metaphor. I'm not talking physically because obviously I can't be the biggest, but. Uh, as a rookie, the world introduces you and you become the number one merchandise seller in the WWE that makes you the most popular star in the company. Uh, I don't think that anyone in their rightful mind believed in me when I said that I wanted to do those things and I would do them, okay? So when you say that you're gonna do something and then you actually do it, you have no reason in your own mind not to believe what you're about to do. If I could do what I did in wrestling and become the number one merchandise seller at five foot 10, 185 pounds, and a star that you guys recognize, I know that I'm about to be one of the biggest stars in all of music. It's difficult because nobody's heard of yet, right? And you can base what you want on a diss track, but also mind you this, the first song that I ever dropped was a diss track, right? You don't hear diss tracks on the radio. I wasn't shooting for radio. That was a big F you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's all that was. I look forward to the music that's about to come. Who would be your biggest dream match to be in? My dream match? I think I would have told you Shawn Michaels growing up. I have his heart tattooed on the inside of my arm. He was my favorite wrestler as a kid in ways that are inexplainable. Like the first time and only time I ever met Sean as a kid, he was just at the Continental Airlines Arena doing a meet and greet. My dad brought me there and like I would run into the arena and I was so out of control as a kid. I would like look in the aisle like, oh my God, there's the ring. Oh, there's toys over there. And I, you know, I want every action figure they had. And then all of a sudden I ran around the corner and I see Shawn Michaels and Diesel with a line around the corner, people waiting to meet him. And I lost my mind and my dad brought me to meet Shawn Michaels. And when I met Shawn Michaels, it was the first time maybe ever that I was speechless. I was a little kid, I went, next thing you know, I'm on his lap, picture's taken, they take me off his lap. And then all of a sudden it registers, I'm like, no way, wait, I have so much I need to tell, oh my God. And my dad had to drag me away. It's funny to me because when you first get into pro wrestling and, and you're me, I never wrestled before in my life. You want to talk about a, a reality check? Try walking into the WWE locker room. Hey, how you doing, everybody? Oh shit, you all hate me? Why? I didn't even do anything. You know, so like, it, it's a world, it's a savage world, but uh, I tried to never lose sight of that, that what it meant for me as a kid. And I had the keen understanding and wherewithal throughout the future that when we were in an arena that there was a dad out there who had bill trouble, who had IRS, who had marital issues, who had you know issues that, that, that are way bigger above and beyond the, the, the reality of a pro wrestling show. 
But in that moment, when that father is standing in that crowd and his son that's eight years old thoroughly enjoys what he's watching, he believes wrestling's real wholeheartedly, and his hero, like a Shawn Michaels, is maybe me, Enzo Amore, that, that father's not thinking about his IRS, he's not thinking about his bills, he's not thinking about his marital issues. He's sitting there in that moment and enjoying it with his son, and he's and we've given him that moment, and that beautiful reprieve away from uh, society and, 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 you know, all the, all the things that are overwhelming in life, uh, they don't mean anything in that moment. And when they don't mean anything in that moment, then I did my job. And that's what I love to do. I think that so many people like to dictate uh, who you are as a human based on what they've seen on a screen. Uh, and that's fine with me. You know, that's the life you choose to get into. But I never wanted to mince uh, too much of reality with, with, uh, with fiction. Uh, you know, you understood what your job was, and your job was to put smiles on people's faces, to give them something to think about so that they weren't thinking about the other BS that goes on in life. So, um, you know, th that's what being a pro wrestler is to me. Uh, it it's, a, it's a family ordeal, it's a, it's a generational uh, pastime, as we would say in America, it's an American pastime, but, or in Canada, we'll call it a Canadian pastime. I mean, look at the, look at the dungeon, look at Bret Hart. I mean, you guys, you guys, uh, you know, kind of paved the way here, so. Um, I think that people take the job too seriously, many, many, many times, they think that it's real. Uh, I was the easiest guy you could ever work with ever in the WWE because while one guy, I, I also could get away with things that other guys could never, so I was understanding of that. If a guy doesn't ever get handed a microphone and he's meant to look like a badass, but when you punch him in the face, he falls down and he doesn't get back up, it's very difficult for him to tell that story to the crowd. I was blessed enough to have a microphone to tell my story so that when you did punch me in the face and I fell down, the people cheered for me to get back up. So, my role was different and I played my role. Know your role! And I'll never shut my mouth. My dream opponent is The Rock. That was the question. I get a long roundabout way to get the, the answer to a question, don't I guys? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brent Money Banks and you are listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Scumbags is money. I'd like to thank you for joining me for this edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. This is episode number 35. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm looking to expand in the new year to have multiple podcasts throughout the week, whether it's the indie show, the WDE show, or a throwback show. You can help us by sending us information on any local independent wrestling events that you happen to attend. It doesn't always have to be Smash Wrestling, because there's many other organizations in the area that we'd love to help spotlight as well. Because the more people who attend independent wrestling shows, the bigger it's going to get for everybody. Remember to share this with your friends, and like us on Facebook, on Twitter, Favor us, whether you're listening to us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast, coming to you from London, Ontario. We'll have the final installment of the Enzo Amore panel from London Comic Con, and results from Control Delete of Smash Wrestling happening this week. 
at the London Music Hall. Till next time, have a great one. The Signature Spot with Chris Toplack is a weekly podcast available every Thursday that covers the world of professional wrestling. It's an easy-to-digest show that ranges from 30 to 40 minutes in length and focuses on show recaps, highlights from the week, industry news and rumors, full event previews along with predictions, topics of the week, and featured guests such as journalists and fellow podcasters. It's a professional yet personable show that's all about connecting with you. To subscribe, head over to youtube.com forward slash the signature spot or listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. And to be a part of the conversation, like the signature spot on Facebook. Hello. Do you or someone you know have a business that you'd love to have advertised here on our podcast? Well, give me a shout at our email address, scumbagswrestling at gmail.com, and let us know how we can help you advertise to the listeners of this podcast. We'll give your business a shout out, including information on how people can reach out to you and information on your services. Granted, I understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night.